I'm in Max, Max, Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to Season 27, Episode 5. Five? Five? Five of Happy Jack's Five. Five. Of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, my name is Stu. And I'm Stork. And it's just the two of us. Just two old men. Two old men. at each other on the internet. Like, what did we say last time? It was like Statler and Waldorf? Yeah, yeah. I don't know which one's which. I don't know if it matters. No. In this episode of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Nicholas writes in about advancement and what should drive it. Uh, Getty Almark is having sandbox troubles, and Rufus had a question about helplessness in gaming and life. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We have a forum, happyjacksforum.com. That's happyjacksforum.com. And we're also on the social meteors, happyjacksrpg, all one word, happyjacksrpg, all one word, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and MeWe. And if you'd like to watch the show live, you can join us at 7 p.m. Pacific Time on Fridays at happyjacks.org slash live. I would just like to mention, uh, as I mentioned last week, my first novel is out, and it's on Kindle. Or, or uh, it's on Kindle, and soon it uh, will be back on print-on-demand books. Cool. I didn't know it came out yet. I know you were talking about it. I think the yeah. last time I was on, you were talking about it. Yeah, I, I went ahead and pulled the trigger and released it a week about a, about a week ago. Wow! And uh, and then I went back and I started reading a bunch of stuff on things you should do before you publish your novel on Kindle. <laughs> of course, I did it after I I did it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, because my co- cover with a picture of a rock on it. Yeah, it's not really a compelling artwork. So I found it. There's a whole there's whole dozens and dozens of sites. Of places that sell pre-made covers, yeah, all kinds of covers. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of covers, all any genre you can think of, both fiction and nonfiction. So I went through and I found one. I'm like, well, that guy doesn't look like he has you know washboard abs because the main character does not have washboard abs. So I was like, yeah, that one will work. So I took it and I and I, and I, reasonably priced for the, a book cover. Art. I mean, and sure. the thing is, when you buy it, it takes that cover down, and no one else can use it because so now it's yours. So no one, you, you don't end up with you know four or five novels out with the same with the same cover, mm-hmm. just different text over it. So, um, but it was pretty reasonably priced. So that's very cool. I got that. Uh, it's still updating. It doesn't have the new cover yet. I just checked. Um, What's the name of that site? I actually would like to prove. Oh, there, there's dozens cool. of them. Just put in pre-made book covers. Covers? And you will get a list, pages of, I, of sites that do it. I wonder if you could use it for covers of like games that you made as well. You know, I'm sure you could. A, yeah, covers a cover, right? You have a limit on some of the sites. Like if you sell more than like a hundred thousand units, I thought that were going to happen. But if you sell, if you sell a lot, then you need to renegotiate with whoever the artist was that made that artwork. Because right. at that point, you probably owe them more than the 150 bucks you spent on the cover. And do you have to put the the logo in or the, the words in and all that stuff in Photoshop stuff, or do they some, have? Like, it depends. Do that for some you? some of them, you 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 pick which one you want. You put it in a shopping cart and buy it. Then you email them with what text you want, and they go in and change it. But the one I ended up using was all automated. So wow. you you pick the artwork you want, 
and it says, okay, here's where the artist has put the pre-made text, where you can put stuff, the author's name, title, subtitle, and if there's any blurb or anything on it. And you just write the stuff in there, and then there's little arrows to make it bigger or smaller so it all fits and you get it the way you like it. And once you have it, then you buy it, and uh, and you can download it high res. And then it also there's also a version that does the front back with the spine for the print on demand books. Mm-hmm. And that one that one's still in the process of of being approved. It's not up yet, but the Kindle version's up, but not with the new artwork yet. It still has my rock. Do you have a twenty year old picture of yourself looking very awkward in a chair for your for the back sleeve there with the picture of the author? You know, about Stu Venable. I took like a sort of. I actually, I, I took a selfie at work that I ended up one, <laughs> that I ended up putting on a on dating sites because I, I ran it through a uh, Instagram filter and, and it gave it you ma- apps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it gave me like dog ears. No, uh, and it got rid of the, the 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 wrinkles under my eyes. No, it. it uh, I just I made it sort of more shadowy so it looked like it was side lit, yeah. like Sting from every movie make. Yeah, Remember, you know the light on the side. Yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah, like that. The whole it's very dramatic. Had them all half lit. Yeah, right. It's very dramatic. So anyway, that's out. Very if you want to get it, um, I'll put another link in the show notes. I don't think the link's changed, but if you if you if you search Stu Venable on on uh, Amazon, I think you'll find me. Or if you put in Mandite, M A N D E I G H T, because that's the character, uh, you put that name, and you'll see the uh, four or five attempts I made at putting it up because you can you can delist it, but it doesn't delete the entry. So you get to see Oops. my iterations of shitty covers until you get. To <laughs> eventually, they'll upload the the one I bought. So. so you can get it on Kindle. You said it's on it's it's on Amazon through Am- Amazon's publishing thing. So it's on mm-hmm. it's on Kindle. You can get it on Kindle right now. It's That's three, really cool. It's three ninety nine. If you have Kindle Unlimited, it's free. And then uh, they also now offer a print on demand book. So that that one's not up yet. There's one. There's a couple of them up that you can't buy. Those are the previous covers. But once that one comes up, I'll order some. That's really cool. And maybe, and maybe I'll have congratulations. Oh, thank you, published author. Yeah, and there's people reading it. Someone put up a very a very very nice five star review, which I was very happy to see. It's not like we all don't have time to read these days, right? So everybody should be reading your book. I think I will. And I'm a, I'm about two thirds of the way through book two. Oh, good writing. So you followed one of the author's rules, which is when you put out a book, make sure you have the sequels all plot charted out so that you know when it's a hit you don't go and do a George R. R. Martin and wait 10 years between books right right well I mean and the thing is if you GM long enough it's not hard to come up with story ideas because <laughs> you because you, you're I realize you get put under pressure to do that all the time and in the the I'm sorry I'm talking about this now but the, the, it's storytelling it's all related this might be interesting to some people um the you know, I, I've tried writing a novel. I wrote one in college, and it was terrible because I was well under my million word point. That was supposed to be ten thousand, but okay. Oh no, no, no! I'm talking about the the number of words you write before you stop writing shit. I thought it was ten thousand. No, it's a million. Uh, well, right. the, the the I think that it's apocryphal, but they, they I, I think it, Hemingway supposedly said your first million words are shit. <laughs> and what it did turns he, 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 well, he was yeah. drunk most of the time anyway. How would he know? His editor could probably tell you. <laughs> but um, the millions of dollars with the sales. The the thing that made this one made it, and I've got on hard drives on more laptops than I even want to admit of started novels. Uh, there's probably a dozen on this laptop, 
and the one before that there's probably a dozen on that one too and the, the thing that i did with this one which of course you know all authors say you should do anyway but i what do i know it is is sort of outline what your story is going to be and the key thing which is something you would definitely not do when you're gming is figure out okay what is my big climactic scene going to be and if you have that in your head as you're writing it's real easy to foreshadow shit and start to move things around because you know where you're gonna go and and that to me was sort of this sort of an epiphany it's like oh and, that, and the first book i wrote that thing in like i don't know and it's just at night and on weekends for like it took me like uh I don't know, a couple weeks to write it pour, pour it out of you yeah and then the second one i got to a point where i sort of kind of wrote myself into a hole and i'm like Mm, I don't step back for a while. And it's it's just like when it's like the GM says, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. I'll be back in a minute. And I waited, and like I, I didn't write. I intentionally didn't work on it that night. And the next night, or the during the day, the next day, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, that's a... I figured it out. So then, then I got home, and, and now I know I wrote myself out of that hole. Sometimes with, uh, with art, when you're painting or drawing... Um, you get so caught up in the minutia of stuff that you can't see clearly. And sometimes you just have to put it down for a day or two or a week or two weeks. And you come back and you go, man, this looks really good. What did I, what did I hate about it again? You, you forget. <laughs> and then you go back into it and everything's fine again. But it's like you, you, you just, sometimes you just need to stop and walk away for a little while and forget about it. Because you get so wrapped up in... God, is this the right choice, or is this where you know this isn't working and that isn't working, and that's all you see, and you you forget to see the big picture anymore. And I think it's the same thing with writing. Sometimes you just need to walk away. Yeah, I think so. You know, a lot of writers say that they say that sometimes you just walk away, and then it, it can take a couple of days. Sometimes it can take months, and suddenly something will click. Somebody will say something, and you go. <gasps> I remember when I was writing a comic book for my senior project at, in college, I was stuck on the plot, and then I was watching North by Northwest. Uh, and the, and the hook by North by Northwest that, that cleared it for me was that for the first quarter of the movie, the viewer and the main character have no idea what's going on. And at some point, the viewer gets clued in, but the main character doesn't. And that was the hook for me about how to pitch this comic book. And again, it was like I had already written this stuff, but I was struggling with how to of how to present it. And it's it's funny sometimes you just step back and things will will be, present themselves to you when you're available for it. Yeah, I was. Um it was it was the once i planned it it was real easy to write that first one and the second one i i know what, what my ending is going to be but i got kind of stuck in the weeds at some point and i was like oh, yep fuck how the hell am i going to get from where they are now to where it, they need to be and and then eventually and, and i had written something just like two chapters before that and i realized i went back through and read and i'm like oh Oh, there it is. There, there's my way out of this. <laughs> so Very smart. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, um, it, you were talking about how it isn't applicable to, to GMing, but actually, I think in certain cases, like if you're doing a con game, um, it is because I know that I've sort of outlined roughly my con games because you're you're basically trying to work within a time constraint. Sure. And you want to make sure that you have enough material to fill up that time. Or if you or if you have too much, you can pull it up. But I usually over prep and come up with a bunch of different scenes. But I do kind of work out a climax in my head about about where this is going to happen at what point in the game. But so it is applicable in certain situations. But you're right. If you're running in the long form game instead of a showcase, uh, yeah, you're just going to let it flow and you know 
pick your moments as they come. You, you got to. You ha- I don't think there's another choice. You know, no. the the um, you know, and and I and I, I may, maybe I'll write an article about it. But the the now that I've actually finished one that I that I kind of enjoyed writing, and a couple people have read it and have liked it, and it, it I think I'm going to write because it it is it, it it there's a lot of GMing skills that are very applicable to writing. They're really I mean fiction, a lot, and uh, boy I think I think if People who are who are uh, writers or are frustrated writers, GM for a while. I mean, a it kind of frees you up, and it also gets your uh, gets your ability to sort of improvise story elements. I mean, that's what that's what you do when you're GM. It's like all of what you do for the most. Well, there's other stuff, but I mean, so I it, it, I, I thought I, I think the two are very related. They're definitely not the same. I, I think that uh, I've talked about it before in various things, but I think really all role-playing games are is a variance of storytelling. We call it collaborative storytelling, and it is, but you, sometimes we forget that because we say it so often. But we're all telling a story, and we and, and the tools of telling a story are are the same across media. Yeah, you know, it, it, whether even visually, sometimes there's a first act, second act, third act. I, I can remember reading an interview with comic book artists a million years ago. I don't remember where, but I remember the gist of what he said was they were they were talking about do you guys like to play role playing games? I think it's specifically Dungeons and Dragons, and they were like, no, because it's too close to what we do for a living to be fun. <laughs> we spend most of our time coming up with fantasy worlds and things, and then it was like, do I want to spend my my spare time without getting paid to do it? <laughs> right. Is what, is but, what was his point. I mean, but look at but, how, look at how many he, authors. He Used but to be role playing gamers, <laughs> but, he, but that's what he said was that like that was the correlation was, you know, writing comic books and and running a Dungeons and Dragons game are way too similar, right? To be fun for me, you know, because that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, he could play rather than run the game, and then I just, know, you know. But I think that <clears throat> when you're writing a comic book, you're basically there's all these stories about comic book writers and artists making noises and faces, and you know, because they have to inhabit each one of these characters as they're doing it. So right. That's funny. All right, uh, enough about that. So yeah, go to go to Amazon.com. I'll, I'll try to put another link in the show notes if you are interested in getting it. And if you get it and you read it and you like it, leave a review, please. It'd be awesome. Um, and 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 like I said, sometime in the next twenty four hours, the it should update with the new cover, which just has a picture of a shadowy mage sort of in the foreground, and there's like some stuff in the background. It's very, very generic, cool. but it looks a lot better than my rock. <laughs> I won't make that mistake again. All right. <laughs> Leveling up from Nicholas. I'll read the first one. Hi. Before the podcast is put down from a lack of emails, this is still from the, when I announced that we won't do the show anymore unless we get emails, and now I've got like three months worth. Good. I probably have enough emails right now for for through the end of the year. Or clo- nah. No, nah, maybe like, well, let's see, it's July, August. Yeah. So you say that, and uh, Th- maybe three people will slip into complacency again, and then we'll have to go out to a field. And then I'll threaten, and say, we're done! <laughs> and then the more emails will come. It'll be great. Um, we might have to come up with our own subject matter and talk about it. Right, okay. Uh, I need to hear your take on XP systems like XP for kills, XP from gold, XP from overcoming obstacles, XP for attendance, XP for roleplay, XP for failure. Or do you prefer the less linear once ones like skills advance with usage or gifting a huge reward 
only once players complete a milestone? Or should we just do away with XP altogether and just play hippie games? Well, hippie games kind of have XP too. P.S. Highly optional. Spotify bought exclusivity to some lesser podcasts for a billion and had its valuation increase with by five up to five billion. I think that was, was that Gimlet. I don't know. I think it was Gimlet Media. I think, and I don't think it was a million. I think it was like five hundred million dollars. Spotify bought them for or something like. You said that. a billion. But. Yeah, I think it was. I, I think it was half a billion. But still, coming. Come on. Um, it paid off, so they should do it again. When will you sell out, and how will you spend your billions? <laughs> ah. Stu will probably af- be able to afford a Warhammer army for most of his kids. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, not all of his kids. Oh, notice, this is in most of your kids. Right. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know how I would spend a billion dollars. I'd buy a, I, I would buy a lakeside cabin in British Columbia, I think. I don't know if I'd ever go to it. Yeah, but I just like the idea. I just like the idea. Well, if I had a billion dollars, why not? I think I, I think I'd like the idea of owning a lakeside cabin in British Columbia. I don't know why. It just seems very picturesque and green. Yeah, to go up there. You haven't been there in six years. You go up there. There's a bear in it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, the whole family of bears living in it. <laughs> and, you, and you can't shoot them. I, I pay off all my debts, and then. Well, yeah. yeah. Maybe buy an island somewhere. You buy an it's, island? Uh, well, you know, British Columbia gets cold and wet and rainy for all, much of the year. I used to live up near there, and yeah, I like it. I just would like, you know, I guess you could have a cabin in the woods and an island because it's a billion fucking dollars. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. It depends how big the island is. Yeah, I don't. I think they're cheap. I mm, I, I don't know. I I hear the Epstein estate has one for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but um, I don't know. I, apart from that, I don't know what I'd do. I don't know. I pr- probably something write dumb. All, you know, pay off all your debts and write books. I just sit and write books that tens of people might read. <laughs> yeah, but you could afford to do it then. Right. I could start so a anyway. game. Start a gamers enclave. <laughs> buy like a, On your a private island. Buy a bunch. No, in the mountains. Buy a bunch of like adjoining cabins in the mountains and have big like. Gaming getaways, like a nudist colony for gamers, without the nudity. Yeah, definitely without the nudity. <laughs> um, it's like a like a retreat. Of that just go in and hang yeah. out and live there, and <coughs> like a hippie commune for nerds. Right? Okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you're isolate yourself from the outside world, and you know people don't come and go, and yeah. Right. Okay. So XP. What is your what is your what what, what is your thoughts on how characters should advance? I am so conditioned to XP from all the video games that I played, from all the role playing games that I played that I, I don't even blink at it anymore. I, it's just become so ingrained in my vernacular that that I don't even really think about it being there being another way, or even if there needs to be another way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've just become. It's. It, I read this and I was like, huh. I, I guess you could have a game where they just you don't have XP. You just decide that you're going to get better at something, or maybe you just don't even get better. You just just do it. But, I mean, we're all so conditioned. It's like, like going shopping. We're so conditioned. Just grab a cart and put stuff in it and go to the, go to the um, cash register. I mean, if there was another way to do it, we'd all go, huh. I didn't even think that this just needed to happen. So, I don't really have a problem with XP because it's so part of my brain. It's so part of my, my world. It's, it doesn't even enter my brain. But maybe I 
Maybe I need to think about it more. Hmm. Blue, there tr- are some games Blue Troller that said can- that my my uh, my uh, mountain game getaway is. She said, "Is that's a convention, isn't it?" I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, it, yes. But it's in the mountains. And then you know they have campfire sing-alongs in the, at night between games. Come on, it'd be so much fun. Campfire sing-alongs with gamers. Yeah, come on. It, it's like it, okay, everyone write a filk about your favorite character. <laughs> come on, it would be fantastic. <laughs> the only time filk is worthwhile. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, I, I anyway, also back to the topic. I also started with D and D. Yes, and then but then I quickly moved on to Traveler, and Traveler had a very. If, I'm trying to remember if first edition of Traveler had a character advancement system. I think character advancement oh, no, barely made it out of character advancement. So yeah, yeah if you made if your character made it out of creation, you were just happy with that. <laughs> right. But I mean, I, I mean, in some ways, character advancement in Traveler was upgrading your equipment. Mm-hmm. I think more than anything else. But um, I think you're right. That pretty much was you. you it didn't really matter if you got that one more point in, in the skill, but it did matter if you got an upgraded plasma rifle with scopes. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, but, you know, and then uh, and then after that, I quickly moved on to GURPS, and I played GURPS for a decade or more, and of course, that has a very different advancement system. The GM at the end of every session gives you experience points, a few usually, usually, you know, two, three, or three to five, maybe, or something like that. And then the players can spend them as they wish. They can save them if they want to buy a stat up. Of course, a stat, buying stats up is very expensive in GURPS after character creation. Or, more likely, you're going to spend them on the skills you've used. And normally the way it worked when we played, and I think this is probably what it says in the book, is the players should check with the GM before they, they put points into something, because there should be some sort of in-game sort of story reason why they did it. So, did you use a skill? Yeah, you can sink a point in that skill. Or, you know, did, have you been exercising a lot? Okay, you can you can increase your health by one. Or things like that, right? Um, and I, I do like... I think that sort of kind of character creation is more realistic, I say with quote marks, than the D&D version, especially later versions of the D&D one, which is like, oh, now I have these new powers. Because to me, it's more interesting if... It, it just seems weird to me. It's like, I'm a D&D character. Uh, we just finished a fight, and I got enough experience points to level up, so now I get these. I can buy this feat, and I now, or I can get these spells it's and things so like that. Awkward. And it's like, like that, you're now... And, and that's so awkward. And I, that's, I know that happened like with Ransom. I, was it Ransom? Yeah, in, I think in, it was, your, yeah. in your 5e game. 4e game. Four. All of a sudden... He had a completely new power set and was not the same character that I that I had designed. Right? He leveled up to a point where it's all new, all new magical powers, and I'm like, well, I don't even know if I want any of these. I, I, <laughs> this isn't what I set out to do. He's completely and and you're right. It's like literally, ding! One day you wake up with a whole new power set. It's not very realistic. It's no. very awkward. And it's, it's very, very MMORPG. It's like you get levels and all of a sudden, bee, little halo thing, it's, graphic appears around your character and, you know, your hit points go usually up. Usually, though, it's, usually you're, it's like, like I know with like EverQuest, you were, it was available for you to go and train in new skills. Like if you were a bard, you'd go out and find new spells or whatever, but you didn't just get them. You had the ability to go find them again. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, and, and D&D still has that, right? You still hit a, hit a point and, and then you flip the switch. have all new powers. Right. And I mean, you could play the game in such a way that you know that you don't get to 
use that XP to level up until, you know, maybe in between adventures, you go back to your mentor or your your yeah. order or whatever, and and then you know you know that we assume that a month or two went by and you trained up or something. That was in one of the editions somewhere. I, I seem to remember reading that somewhere, like, you know, the, you, you don't get to advance it. Or maybe it was in Dragon Magazine, there was an article about it, mm-hmm. trying to mitigate that whole, you suddenly become aware and have magical powers, or all new magical powers. Right. And in some cases, that works. If you're a cleric, suddenly your god bestows upon you a whole new set of powers overnight. Because that's what gods do. They're capricious and just decide to give you new stuff. But, you know, for the fighter, it's like, all of a sudden, I know how to use a two-handed sword, and I've never picked one up in my life. How cool is that? Right. Or, you know, since we killed that last pack of orcs, I now do three dice of damage with my sword rather than two. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. Erica Odd says, one thing Rollmaster did that I liked was when you made a character you, your first level, and you make your choice choices for second level. When you hit second level, those choices applied and you made your choices for third level. Ah, so you decided what you were going to do when you leveled up before you had the experience to do so. Yeah. Excuse me. That would let that would let the 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 player and the GM sort of kind of figure out in story justifications for the stuff that you are going to get when you get to that level. That kind of that makes a little more sense. That would that's that that's a, I think a better way to do that sort of ding leveling. You could kind of house rule that in almost any system, though. That's not really... That's kind of squishy enough that I don't think it would break anybody's system. Right. See, I, the, um, I, I still kind of prefer, even as a player, I kind of prefer the the GURPS thing, because it's like, here's your character, and there's all the different things your character can do, and there's a lot of different things you can spend your character points on. You, you Not not only can you increase stats or skills, but you can also buy off disadvantages. You, let's say you've got a disadvantage yeah. that... I don't know, you've got an enemy or something, maybe during in-game you spend time trying to mend the fences with whoever that is, and then at some point you can go to the GM and say, hey, I've saved five points, can I buy off my five-point enemy? And like, yeah. oh yeah, sure, and then... Uh. So, I mean, there, I mean, there's all... It, it just it seems to me that a point-by-system character advancement gives you more flexibility, because you are... I mean, with, with games like D&D, you are very constrained. If you're a fighter, and you're going to go to the next level... You're going to get a stat boost, or you're going to get something. And there's very few right choices for that. If you start looking at the math of the game. And if right. you're using feats and things like that, there again, it's like, oh, this is the feat you want to do if you're this kind of fighter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it ends up just just out of design. It. It, it, it's it, It's predetermined. In a lot of ways, and I, and I think if you make a character in a point by system, you can kind of spend your points where you want to spend them. You know what I mean? At least that's the way. I do. Yeah, and the other thing about point by systems too is that they they because you have to spend so much time on the front end of it, you end up really sort of nuancing your character a lot more and coming up with reasons why you are buying the skill sets that you are. So in many ways, it does help with actual characterization of your of your sniper, you know? Why does he have this? Why does he have that? Why did he spend this many points in this? Because you have to think about it as you're buying them all up, up front. You know what I mean? Right. Whereas with D&D, you just... We all get battle axe at, at this point damage at this level, you know? And it doesn't really make any sense. 
Yeah, I don't know. So. They're, they're saying, Stu, mute, did Stu just mute a burp? <laughs> no, it was a cough. Yeah, it was a really loud cough. That's why I hit the mute button. He was, he's muting his burps because he's planning on buying uh, yeah, I can't, in British I want, Columbia. I want to make sure they'll let me in British Columbia when I go to buy my, my lakeside mansion <laughs> that I'll never go to. <laughs> they all rent it out. Or we'll rent out the guest the guest house. Oh, that's where you have your uh, your gaming your gaming retreat. Oh, that's a hall. Get all the way up there. You have a billion dollars. You just fly people in in your private jet that lands on the on the lake. I ain't doing and they, that. You know, one of those airplanes. No, I ain't. I'm pontoon boats. I'm gonna buy a bunch of bunch of cabins up in like Big Bear or Idlewild. Oh well, all right. Or have them built. Have a complex, a gaming yeah, complex that's built what I'm saying, in the yeah. mountains. I'd want it close. I'd want it, you know. So people can get there. I don't want to have people have to fly to British Columbia. You gotta have no, a you passport. You fly them. You're a, you're a billionaire. So. Yeah, but I want to keep. I want to continue <laughs> to be a billionaire. I I want those three commas after my my net worth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I don't know if we even answered that. <clears throat> well, I think we kind of did. I mean, I, now, now as far as <laughs> let me the, the other question that I think he's asking that we haven't answered yet mm-hmm. is what do you give XP for? And I think that's even more important than this mm-hmm. than the, the advancement system you're using because he mentions XP from kills, XP from gold, which is the way old D and D used to work. Mm-hmm. If you you get an experience point for every gold piece you steal from someone mm-hmm. for some reason, even if you're not a thief, um, you used to get it for just getting treasure. It's like you would right, yeah. open up a treasure chest and all of a sudden you'd have to divvy up. 300 points of XP. Yeah, you get 50 points for killing the skeleton, and then you get 800 points for the gold in the chest. <clears throat> Overcoming obstacles, yeah, and then uh, attendance, role-playing, and for failure. What do you think about... what are If you're if you're dealing with any kind of a system, and you can do this with any system, I think, that ha- that has character advancement that uses any kind of points, what are the... What, are the, what do you think are the, the things... That should or should not be used to to award those points or determine how many points you get. Well, oh wait, Ed from Minnesota says every step you hit falling down a staircase that goes <laughs> that, <laughs> that goes back to your 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 realism test if for you're a role playing games. Pratt Paul Bard. Is right, that a subclass? You, right. Well, he's a performer, right? But he does, uh, you know, physical comedy. And maybe he's a, he's a mime or a clown. So, yeah, he would get points for every step that he hit and didn't hurt himself. Or a stuntman, if he was a, you know. Um, no, I, I mean, gold, I think, is probably right up there. It's like, I'm not sure I'd be getting out XP for gold. And, and you could argue that, well, the thief needs to get XP somehow. So, well, the thief could get XP from the act of actually picking the pocket, not from how much gold he got from from picking that pocket. But and then I necessarily wouldn't necessarily award XP for attendance. However, I've been in groups where people just flake, and sometimes it's a way to get people to show up. So I can't say that that's a bad thing all the time. You know, right? Well, I mean, you could use it as a way to encourage the kind of behavior or the kind of play style right. you want in the game. And that might work in some situations, but you might get a lot of pushback in other ones. Right, and same thing with role play too, because you're naturally going to have these handy people that steal the spotlight, or or that suddenly they they feel like they can steal the spotlight um, because they're going to get XP for it, and it may just dust other people. I mean, Tappy has that famous story about uh, this guy he he gamed with who was a stand-up comic, 
And so every time he tried to do a social check to like the guards to, to talk his way past a guard in the in the city, they were just witty and funny and had arguments for everything. And it's like this guy's like a schlub guard. I mean, I, <laughs> right? Yeah. Come, you know, because the GM was witty and funny, and it was really it was really frustrating. And that's it, it, it's kind of an absurd example, but it, it, it he he really made a very good point, which is something you know giving awards for for role play isn't always a good thing because the hammy guy is gonna or or woman is going to you know get it all i well i mean there there are ways to mitigate that if you have a more quiet player when they do come up and have that cool role-playing moment yeah that counts for you know more than the the cut up who's constantly hey you know feeling attacked or you should now the Um, chat room saying a couple very interesting things first off eric odd says her preference is story-based or milestone things yeah so like when you get to a point in the story and that kind of makes sense that kind of gets rid of that whole ding thing because it's like okay you've gotten to the end of a chapter or whatever you call it here's your xp everyone go about your day and then you know we'll pick up the game a couple weeks after this happened, and then everyone spend your points however you want, and then off we go. So that that kind of makes that that makes some a little more sense to me, <clears throat> and kind of gets rid of that whole. I now suddenly have more powers, and but Ed from Minnesota brings up something very interesting. What and this is a few a few messages he posts. This is in the chat room for those of you who are listening not live. You can join us in the chat room, and sometimes I read it. Um, what does XP really represent? Player reward for playing. A way to increase your chances of doing something in the game? If challenges increase to match your level, do you really gain anything? Ah! <clears throat> so, I mean... Well, that and vice versa. I mean, if the challenges are really easy, is it worth giving you XP for it? Right. Well, I mean... Yeah, I mean, that, that that's a, the whole power creep thing with D&D and other games that rely very heavily on on leveling that's the whole thing I mean it's like you can't fight Orcus at first level that ain't gonna happen so you fight a kobold and you beat him and you feel great joy over over beating him and then when you level up to you know 18th or 20th level and now you can take on Orcus is it more satisfying at that point or is it just as satisfying as that kobold from the from level one that's an remember, interesting. Remember that's EQ? Do you remember all those days back in EQ when you go outside and kill rats? All like, oh, right, and a rat killed you. Right, and then you had to go out and get all your stuff, and that rat was still there, and he killed you again. Because <laughs> he's a he's a dire rat or something. But we know it was just a rat. It was a big <laughs> giant rat, but it was just a rat that killed you. And then when you finally killed that rat, do you remember how great you felt? Right, you know? and then you were able to loot your ten bodies that were out there. <laughs> GM Rob says a division between character for character's sake and genuinely contributing to an in, to interesting drama? Yeah. What about giving it for for the role-playing and character stuff? I, it depends on your group, and it, and it kind of depends on your games. I mean, I, certainly something intense like Call of Cthulhu I really think should be awarded um, maybe for role-playing because characters are put in awkward situations, they're in they're in. Um, there's clues to solve. There's problem solving. But but again, leveling up a Cthulhu doesn't really do you any good, right? What are you going to do? Get another point in gun skills that you're not going to want to use anyway? Because it's just going to piss it off, right? right unless you want to put a bullet in your head at the end of the game. But 
you know, it's in some ways it's it's I it, it, it's sort of game and uh, and mood maybe um, situational. It's like if you're playing a, a really detective heavy game with a lot of clues and things, then yeah, I'm going to start awarding XP for clues you figured out, for uh, jumps in logic that you guys have worked out. I mean, that's kind of the thing about Benny's with Savage Worlds is that somebody makes this incredible intuitive jump in clues, you can throw them a Benny like, go, man, way to go. Right. And it, it's not really XP because they can spend it later on something else, but it, it's like a it's like an attaboy, way to go, and you get something tangible for, for role-playing even or for making a, a really cool moment, you know? Right. Um, yeah, so G- I, GM Radio Rob. Was it? No, I already read that one. Where was it? I think it's about a variety rather than a numerical increase. I.e., choices of skills slash feats character characteristics increases. The number generally may be the same, but the specifics of what the player purchases make the rules side of the game play differently. I'm kind of hearkening back to what you said originally about Traveler 2, which is like you pretty much come out with a fully formed character. Yeah. And then it's about the stuff that you have that. Yeah, character advancement, even in like the later Mongoose versions, is extremely slow. Even if you travel a lot, it takes a long time to get enough study hours to increase the skill. And it's about the stuff you get. And even in a fantasy thing, too, because I remember as a kid, you were like, we'd save our gold so we could buy a magic sword. Or we would get better armor, you know, because we all started out with just, you know, rags. Shit, right. <laughs> Same with EQ, you know, when you were playing EverQuest online, which is you would try to go on quests and find stuff, or, man, or be, there was a skill set where you could make cool things too, but you it all took time and it all took money um, and materials. So, I mean, in many ways, sometimes that makes a lot more sense. Like, here's a, a recipe for making... Um, plus one Damascus steel blades. Okay, now you've got that, so now you have to go on a quest and find metals and maybe a forge or somebody or a dwarf that can you know make it for you, all that kind of thing. I mean, maybe that makes more sense than just saying you can now swing your sword better. Right. <clears throat> so I, I don't know. So what? What, what do you think? What, what? What do you? If you're jamming. What, what and assuming that you can you can award XP in any way you want, what do you give them for? Um, definitely for defeating an encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's for the whole encounter, not just like sort of individual things. It's sort of like the whole thing is a group, and then I just usually divvy it up evenly amongst all the players, unless somebody has done something unbelievably heroic or unbelievably like a huge. You know, they 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 run away and, and make an avalanche and, and, and single-handedly use the avalanche to crush orcas. I'm like, okay, you get extra XP for thinking way outside the box and saving the entire party, you know? But for the most part, I usually give out XP, like in D&D, per encounter for that thing. Right. Now, but that's sort of D&D specific, because when you're playing something like GURPS or Hero or Traveler, you're just doing your thing, you know, and then at the end of the at the end of the session you get your one point of whatever it is. Right. Uh, like with um <clears throat> so yeah. I, well, I I guess I tend to reward by situation and by encounter. Now now GM Radio Rob again brings up a point which I was about to make as well. He mentioned Sav- Savage Worlds, so I was gonna say GURPS, but it's the same thing. Uh not the same thing, but similar concept. Uh players can get extra points for their hindrances. Mm-hmm. 
Now he's talking about. I think he's talking about character creation. Like you gain more points for yes. taking those. But yes. I, as a GM, like to get to reward players who really embrace their hindrances or their disadvantages. If you're playing GURPS. Because that, to me, makes it a more interesting game. And I want to reward that. I, I hate it when a player takes a disadvantage and then hopes that I forget that it exists. Because right. I will. I will forget that it exists. Sure. I don't pay attention to that. I mean, I'll write them down and pretend like I'm going to remember it, but I never remember that shit. But if the player takes it upon themselves, I'm impulsive, we're in the middle of a plan and we're at a critical point, and my character's been waiting for a long time and not doing a goddamn thing, and he's really bored right now, so fuck it. I'm going to go do this thing. That may not necessarily help. you got to be careful, because in some ways that character might be kind of working against the party's interests mm-hmm. so you don't want to you don't want to encourage it too much but you also want players to play their characters disadvantages maybe the conversation needs to be which disadvantages should we as as a as a party want our each of our characters to have and which ones do we think are going to be a problem right because i mean you all know that a lot of times in a, a, a character's disadvantage might not be that character's specific disadvantage, but the whole party's paying for their shit. Right. You know what I mean? It's like when I made that blind character. Right. It's like, yeah, my character's blind. Okay. Um, somebody has to be with you at all times. To Stork's character, you need to climb me. You need to carry me up this ladder because I yeah. can't make it myself because yeah. I might fall. Because I'm and my dog. I got a dog. I got a seeing eye dog, and you're gonna I have to carry him. You have to go back down carrying him up too. <laughs> That's not my disadvantage. That becomes your disadvantage. Well, it's still my disadvantage. But it's, I mean, as players, especially with things like impulsiveness, if you've got a group of planners and there's the one guy who decided to take impulsive, every time they come up with a plan, that player might throw that wrench in there and you've got to be careful because you're going to end up pissing off a lot of players who, who want to play a certain kind of game. Mm-hmm. Savage Worlds is, is again, if you play to your impulses, like I, I know when I created the Freak Show, I, we have a, I have a, a Russian, an ex-Russian mafia, or ex-Russian sailor, who is covered in tattoos. But because he's Russian, he doesn't read English. He can speak it. He speaks broken English, but he just doesn't read it. So his disadvantage was, you know, illiterate in English. And, and I would give a Benny every time that whoever was playing the Illustrated Man... Was with like I don't know what it says. What are you talking about? I, you know, and so here's your many for playing up your your disadvantage. Right. But and that's the cool thing about Savage Worlds is that you can give out that little monetary reward without having to stop the game and work out XP or you know every time he they they level up past everybody else because they keep leaning on their disadvantages. You can just hand them a Benny. Right. You know that <clears throat> it's interesting because the Benny mechanic is an ephemeral thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which makes it something that you can you can give out with a lot without having to worry about a lot of consequences mm-hmm. long term. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're if you're rewarding people with experience for things, that's a that is a lasting effect on the game. Mm-hmm. Especially because I, I don't know what do you think about giving diff- players different levels of experience points? Well, I've had that happen before when we were playing Hero because people were playing different games, but it what. What happened was that players would start out-leveling other players. And now all of a sudden your party's in balance because you have like a level 8 guy and a That's level 4 I'm guy thinking. and a level 5 guy. And it, and it did. It became a problem. I could see... 
a point here or there. Every few sessions, if someone has like a very poignant moment, we give them one extra experience point, maybe. Right. I'm talking about a, like a GURPS experience point, not like a D&D experience point. One D&D experience point, shit. But in GURPS, that's a significant amount of stuff. So, I don't know. All right. Well, thank you, Nicholas, for the email. We appreciate it. And you saved the show. Good on you. Um, sandbox Troubles from Getty Al Mark. Yeah, that's a tough one. Your cat gets in hold of your sandbox. <laughs> My whole sandbox campaign flopped early. In earlier levels, the PCs were to deal with four guarded keeps to keep said hardy defenses by design. So the PCs' frontal assaults failed repeatedly. I was generous when they tried any simple and reasonable non-combat tactics, like stealthing in, talking their way past the front line, or using disguises. When yet another frontal assault failed, players felt I was punishing them for going after the bad guys, like they were supposed to. I said there are supposed. I said they are supposed to go after the bad guys, but they are. But the way they do it matters. I cited all the examples of failed frontal assaults and highly successful non-combat tactics. They said, combat should always be an option, and by me punishing them for a combat-only tactic, I was effectively forbidding the players from telling their story, their way. So, they want more player agency and effective tactical options. Another objection was the fully open sandbox allowed them to find encounters uh, well above their level. I figured a fleshed-out dangerous world is not geared towards PC level. They suggested that I gate the higher-level areas of the sandbox, argue that level gates limit player agency to go wherever they want, and contradicts the request for more player agency. Now soured on the campaign, we ended it, trashing hours of prep. It sounds like they want a game where the uh, big bad evil guy challenges the world without really challenging the PCs. I'm afraid that if combat is always an option, then I'm going to end up with PCs doing little more than punching everyone in the face through 15 levels of play and can never create dynamic encounters or complex plots that can't be punched through. Help before I burn my DM screen. You're playing with the wrong group. Well, This is a group that likes combat encounters, and he's trying to have something besides combat encounters. Yes, but I also think he's maybe being a little intractable and... um, um, I agree. And... And, and not very flexible in his um, in his uh, DMing skills here too. It sounds to me like you've kind of made the cardinal mistake, which is this is how they're going to break into the wizard's tower. I've already worked it out. Yep. And if they don't do what you have already thought out in your head, you subconsciously punish them for it. Now, the argument to that is like okay. For, Stu's talked about this before too, and I've noticed it too. Like when, when um, Stu's by by admission terrible with tactics and strategy. Yep. And and he admits it all the time. Yep. Bill, on the other hand, is great with tactics and strategy. So when I assault a wizard's tower in Stu's game, it's completely different than the way I assault a wizard's tower in Bill's game. You metagaming Bill, motherfucker. <laughs> because Bill, <laughs> no, because I, I you know you get stung once, and I've always remembered too. I'm like, oh yeah, Bill is, and Bill builds really smart wizard's towers, I guess, for lack of a better analogy. So, you can't just assume <laughs> that it's going to be easy to, to just, you know, knock on the door or tunnel in. It, however, you can't make your wizard's towers so completely impregnable that they can't get in. You know, at, at some point, you're like, you're like, well, you're the GM, you thought of everything, why, why did you make us attack the un, unpenetrable t- tower? 
you know, and then you're sitting there going, well, there is a way, ha, 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 you just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, so exactly. Now you're just being a douche. <laughs> but you see, know? I'm not sure... It- when I when I pre-read this, I didn't get the impression that he was the there's one true way past this thing guy. I didn't get that impression from him because he said that when they would take a non-combat way to get through, he would be very generous. So he was trying to encourage, and it seems like if they had tried anything but combat, he probably, you know, would would it would meet with success. So I don't know. I mean, this. Although I, this does remind me of my in my earlier days of GMing when I was running my big long GURPS fantasy campaign. There was a. Uh, we we finished the the campaign, and it was one of those situations where the players wanted to keep going, which you should never do. Mm, good note. Yeah, it's never worked out well for me because it's like when I have an idea for a campaign, run that campaign, and the players want more. It's like. Okay, uh, I'll figure something out. So I started. We, we started sort of phase two of this thing, and like he like he did, I had made this area. I think I called it the Badlands or something. I don't even remember. It was this big, huge, vast desert, and they the players didn't know this, but it was filled with this sort of like magical clockwork, like automaton monster things. I don't even know why I made this, and I, I my, there might have been a story reason for it, but I don't think there was. I just think I thought like giant clockwork monsters would be cool, and I had statted one of them up even. And I figured when the players get the players need to when they'll they'll go to what the city or whatever they'll do some stuff and they'll find out some information about these things that'll make it they weren't they weren't gonna, they didn't need to level up to be able to do it but there's things they needed to know about them because this is in GURPS so GURPS can be very granular there're things they need to know about these things before they go out after them because one of the things about them was that when they died or died in quotes they exploded and I killed three of the four characters when they went after one. They decided, well, no, we're going to go in the desert. They went in the desert until they found one of these things. And they decided to go kill it. And they were all standing around hacking it with swords and shit. And then it blew up. And I'm like, okay, well, it does X amount of damage. And then, you know, you have explosion rules for yeah, derps. You, you did that to us in your 4E game, too, when Casey killed a skeleton. The, and no, yeah. the other one's exploded, and then the other one's exploded. You only killed out, only killed one Casey. character, though. <laughs> yeah, but it took out most of them. Everybody else was incapacitated, but it only killed Casey. That was actually that's that's actually by design. I don't remember yeah. what those things were called, but they were some kind of exploding skeleton. flame yeah. skeleton or something. And yeah. when you hit one, and it they're almost they were almost designed to be a chain reaction. If they're clustered up, one would go off and it damage everything immediately around it which might be the next skeleton, and that would kill that one and damage everything around it. And I seem to remember you, like, as you were reading the thing, you went, oh, no. <laughs> I think that, those are the words that left your mouth, like, oh, no, these things are, oh, I didn't know they did that. James, like, James, James V what? says they're called fire skeletons. Okay. But, but this clockwork thing, they hit it, and they d- did the damage. Of course, it's easy to kill characters in GURPS. And three of the characters died, and one of them, like was at negative health I think but had made made the health roll or something and wasn't dying and then we started the game again everyone else made new characters and that that character had convalesced or whatever but I mean 
you know, and it's like you know why why is it was that area if, if I had something planned later why is it that why is it right next door <laughs> you know what I mean if it's I'm like EverQuest why would you put the level fifteen zone right next to the starting zone what's wrong with you people you know, if, if I'm gonna have to get killed by a brownie if I'm gonna have a fiftieth level like necromancer in Death Mountain I'm not putting Death Mountain next to the city where the party is gonna meet at the tavern right. I'm going to put Death Mountain long, 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 long way away now. So I don't know, and and, and I do wonder about uh, Getty Almark. I do wonder about your prep style, because I, I wonder if you're over prepping. Because a bit like I that, have yeah. learned since then, don't prep. I mean, you can have ideas for stuff that's going to happen later on, but if you don't prep it, the party doesn't have to find it. <laughs> and even right. if you do prep it, the Bernie doesn't have to find it. You can move it. If you don't right. have they to kill them all off yet, right? Because you you put you put the necromancer in that zone when you made the map doesn't mean that it's locked in stone. You can move him. <laughs> GM prep says there is there is there is no such thing as over prepping. Yes, there is. Uh, I can remember <laughs> Absolutely. back in the day when I was uh, when I was GMing a Champions game. I think it was a fifteen year old or whatever. We had sort of an Avengers analog, right? And I had some giant robot monster. And the guy that was playing the Daredevil samurai analog, he was Ridgemore Street Level, one of the guys was an Iron Man analog. So he's, you know, the Iron Man guy's shooting fireballs and blowing things up. And the guy that was playing the Daredevil analog was trying to battle this giant robot, and he he kept trying to attack it with his little chi sword. His chi sword was like a lightsaber, and it would do a little damage, but he couldn't bring it down. And he kept getting more and more frustrated, and I kept saying to him, you know, think about your other options. And all he kept wanting to do was attack. And I'm like, I, I, I had designed the things, or at least to my mind, I had a, had a, like a service hatch that he could have roped up to, you know, Batman style, and gotten into the inside the robot. But he got mad at me because I never mentioned. And nowadays, I would say things like, roll a, roll a notice roll or whatever. Yeah, after a, the a, outlines of a door in the back. After a few roll. rounds of combat, if they're not like, act, like. Looking right. around, you're going to feed that to him. You're going to say, "Yeah, so you're in the oh, you're at the you're in the backside of the robot. Go ahead and make a perception roll." Right. And, hey, there didn't. might be a hatch. Right. I didn't, or I, I had him roll perception a couple of times and he failed. And again, I would just have him notice at some point. But you know, now you know that was over thirty years ago. So right, I think I've matured a bit as a GM and as, <laughs> as a person. So, um, but uh, he was pissed and probably rightfully so because he, he couldn't do anything he really couldn't hit it he couldn't do any damage he kept taking damage but i kept thinking you keep trying to do these frontal assaults you're not built for that you know you're the you're the street level daredevil analog you are not iron man and you can't work that way right so it was probably the wrong character for the wrong wrong player and the wrong encounter he just right. he just wanted to kill things and he didn't <clears> want to <throat> to think about it and stealth around you know we know that's what he thought he was bill ran a uh, hero, heroes, champions game. Um, back when we were roommates, that were very similar to that, and it started out. And his conceit for the thing, which he didn't tell us, we made our characters at whatever point level they were. They weren't super high, but they were like maybe three hundred point superheroes. And we were in the city, and we were like the B team, and there was the A team, which was like, and there, were, there was this whole thing about you had to get licensed to be uh, masked supers. You were like the mystery men. Uh, kind of, yeah. Well, we, I mean, we we actually had powers. 
<laughs> but there was this other team that was like built on like probably 600 point characters who were like the the, the like the, the the real super team right so and we're like in a small suburb or something and we're trying to to you know prove ourselves and uh and some guy had stolen i mean he he foreshadowed this stuff during the course of the adventure some guy had stolen like jet engines from like mcdonald douglas off of like dc10s or something and had made this constructed this giant ass robot that was fueled by jet fuel through these turbines and that's what it used to to power the power the thing sure but Why not? It, it sounds awesome but the difference was he intentionally made this encounter which there was no way we were going to win and he intentionally made this encounter so that we the underpowered characters would be there when this fight happened so we start fighting this thing and if i'm i i, I may have the order of things mixed up but i think we started fighting this thing because we, we had investigated the stolen airplane engines and all this shit and so we start we start um fighting we start fighting the thing and we're not doing anything to this thing nothing zero and then like the big superheroes show up and they start doing their deal and then you know one of them does the fastball special with the the sort of um um what's his name wolverine wolverine analog and throws a guy up there and there's the one guy called the sharpshooter who's got a you know this this big overpowered pistol and he's like aiming at something and he's got like you know super eye vision shit so he's in there aiming turn after turn after turn waiting for the right moment to pull the trigger and the the fucking robot steps on all of them and kills them (laughs) (laughs) and we're like oh shit so we run away (laughs) and that's the that's that was the start of our campaign (laughs) and now it's and at that point the game ended up kind of petering out but at that point we're like all right uh, we need to do something, and we need to figure out what the hell's going on because we need to figure out some way to level up. <laughs> we are not ready to fight this shit. Clearly, we're up class. <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah, it was. It was very fun. So, but in, anyway, getting back to his sandbox thing, I think there's two problems. Um, one, I, I think you're playing with players who want one thing and you want something else, and that may be one of those things where either. You need to sit down and have a conversation and say, hey, I don't want to run a game where everything's killing. I'd like you guys to figure out stuff. But they're also, I mean, maybe maybe they are getting frustrated because you're expecting them to come up with the quote-unquote right solution to the problem. Right. You, you'd say right here, but the way they do it matters. So clearly you have an agenda. Right. That, and that, you, know, that you want them to do it a certain way. I strongly suggest you go by my my motto of gming which is come up with the problems the players come up with the solutions Mm -hmm. you figure out what the problem is if they come up with a solution that makes sense maybe it it, maybe it it uh uh exploits something that you forgot to to prep or they come up with some way to do it because i mean you want them to get into the tower because there's something there that's going to lead to the next part of the story so you need to be a little more, maybe a little more lenient in how they get it. And if, and, and, but I mean, if, if you guys have a problem of they want to kill kill things and take their stuff, and you want to run a different kind of campaign, 
we may need to sit down and have a conversation and figure out if there might be middle ground. Or maybe it's you having the realization, I'm playing with a bunch of hack and slashers who want to yeah. kill stuff. It, it, it's, he's right. He's right. Because full frontal assaults are always a bad idea. I remember the remember the time you built your whole wizard's castle and then we ended up enticing him out? Right. That was that was windy drawers, yeah. That was windy drawers, and 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 you had we done a full frontal assault, we would have been annihilated or at least really badly hurt because that's you know what, what? I don't I don't for. think you would have been annihilated. It would have been a more desperate fight rather than just a simple assassination, which is with a with a sniper's bullet, which is what it was. But it, because and, and as we said, it's like well, we're not going in there, and you were like, and you you said later you're like of course you're not going to go in there why would you go there <laughs> why would you go into his keep of course you would call him out why, why didn't I think of that but that's you're right if you're designing a keep that the front entrance is the one that is most heavily fortified in fact in a, in a recent game we played I, it's probably, I don't know if it's up yet so I'm not going to talk about it I said you know attacking the doors is the most armored spot you have to find other ways oh, right, to right, get right. into the keep. Yeah, that's not up yet. Going for a frontal assault, right? Um, yeah, the so, door's the way in. That's always the most protected thing. And so his players are still just attacking the front <clears throat> gates, and it, so he's right in a way. It's like you know, you're, you guys are attacking the most heavily fortified part of the building every time. So yeah, you're the front gate is designed to withstand all of that. What? So yeah, you're losing. <laughs> right. So, you know, I see his point, which is. I, you guys are being idiots. <laughs> when I was in college, it's funny that you mentioned that. I, I, I worked at the library when I when I was working my way through school, and uh, they had. This is back when computers were green screens with clicky keyboards, and if you were in the library using that to try to look up a book, you're probably better off going to the card catalog. I mean, this is the mid '80s, right? Well, it, in the last couple of years there. They actually took a whole section of the first floor of the library and they built an IT department and they actually started upgrading the computers to actually usable stuff. And they had this the green screen to the black and orange, right? Exactly. But they 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 had this whole section of the first floor. They'd taken out all of the offices or whatever, and they made that the IT department. And they had like a little mini server farm in there and all kinds of stuff. And I remember they put this big fucking steel reinforced door on this thing with a keypad and you know and I asked what the one of the managers there I'm like why do you got that big door there well that's when no one steals the computers I'm like oh well you know if someone went in there and went around to the bathroom all they have is two layers of drywall and they're in that room <laughs> like whoops there was a show on years ago called burn notice which I really really liked and it, it kind of was like the it was a spy show the guy had all these spy things sort of james bond in florida but but um he would have this voiceover stuff and one of the takeaways from this and it makes so much sense was he, he was you know talking to a guy through a door and he, the voiceover goes now the door is always steel and double plated but the drywall right next to it you can shoot right through it and the guy's like oh you shot me right and he shot him through the drywall because just like you said the wall is only six inches and there's insulation and two two little layers of sheetrock as opposed to the steel door so yeah you always go through the, the wall um <laughs> people don't think about it i used they to look watch- at a door and go oh well, it's too hard to get in they don't they don't go around to the side i used to watch this this um uh youtube channel called the box of truth i think it was called the box of truth did you ever see that 
<clears throat> these guys with gu- they had gu- got a bunch of guns. And they made this box that they can put stuff in and then shoot different types of bullets through it and see what happens. And they shot hollow points through layers of drywall. All it did is fill up the hollow point of the drywall. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or to fill up the hollow the point bullet, of the bullet with drywall, and it just went straight through, and yeah. it was like totally like it, it didn't it like flare it out nothing. or any of the shit that 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 they're supposed to do. There used to be a show on called I think it was It Takes a Thief or whatever. They they would hire these these two X B and E guys, um, and they would they would rob a person's home and then film it while they did it, and then they would come back later, get back all their stuff, explain to them how they did it, and then give them a whole new security system to sort of top it off. And they'd show these homeowners like what they were doing to be robbing. And, and they would go through and say things like, you know, when, when a thief goes in your house, they're not carefully going through the drawers and everything. They are overturning and, and, and disrupting everything. It's like when they go through a house, they don't go through the front door. No. It's like, so locking your front door doesn't do anything. <clears throat> you leave your window open at the top, they can just hop up and get in through the bathroom window in about 30 seconds, especially if you have a ladder around the side of the house. So they kept pointing out the thing is like, we, nobody... You lock your front door, but you leave your sliding door and your patio open. That's right. that's that's how we get in. And again, it's not the front door. It's not the frontal assault. It's the side assault. It's so. But see, that's why that's th- why I have dogs. Well, yeah, I lock my front door to protect the burglars from walking in because I have dog door. So my <laughs> dogs go anywhere they want. Yes, because I'm protecting the burglars. I'm not protecting my house because my house is fine because I have. 110 pound bruiser and then Dahlia who is freaking psychotic and they will they will tear the I don't I don't know what they would do if someone tried to break in here but no one has tried in 15 years they bark a lot that's enough more well, than Pal- anything that's they're like ah, we'll just try the house that doesn't have dogs Beluse, that's Bal- another thing that the that the, the burglar guy said too yeah Baloo scares the shit out of people because he's so big and yeah he's got a very when he, I've heard him bark when he really means it. Oh, fuck. It, it, it is that monkey brain of ours goes, oh, my God, a wolf. Oh, you know, it, yeah. the, the, we have we have coyotes now because they had fire, yeah. you know, fires up in the hills. And, and yeah, the coyotes they're, they're, actually going, they're actually nesting in my backyard. I have to go out and chase them out. Oh, boy. Well, they, they, they like to congregate in front of my house once in a while. <clears throat> and one night there was a couple. No, it wasn't that. Well, he, he freaks out when they happen, when they come out and they start yipping. And he starts baying. But I, I was... One night, in the middle of the night, it's like 1 a.m., I wake up in a fucking panic because he's going... Arr, 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 this yeah. weird-ass noise I've never heard him make before terrified the shit out of me. Like you said, it got that little tiny segment of like small mammal brain that's left over from when we evolved from yeah. little mice... <laughs> That yep. terrifies us that there's something bigger and scarier around. Yeah. And I got up, and I went, and he's at the window, and there's slobber on the... Because I have a big window in, in the front of my house right next to the front door. And there's slobber on it where he was... And paw marks where he was trying to get through it. Thank God he didn't, because that would... There's a vet bill. But um, I went back on my ring doorbell, and someone tried to sneak in. And they open they open the gate up. I don't know if I still I might still have the video. They open the gate up and they started just started to walk up the the walkway to the to my front porch. And it's almost like Baloo was sitting there because he's his bed is right underneath that window. So I think he heard him or he was listening and he waited until they got close enough. And then he starts with this this horrible thing. And in the video, you can hear him start barking. And the guy turns around and runs. Yeah. 
scared the, the shit out of him. That thief thing I, I saw that that uh, one of them he actually he actually you know charms the dog or whatever with a piece of meat or whatever, and I think he takes the dog with him. And one of them, but for the most part, he said just having a dog the thief will go. Now nah, I'll pick the next house. You know, it's easier. So just having a dog that makes noise makes a thief go. Yeah, oh yeah, well, I mean we, they had a situation when when Heather Heather moved into her new house just up north here of me. I was still holding on to all the dogs. I had three of them at the time, and she got. Well, actually, it was before I got the third one. Her house got broken into, and someone stole her laptop. And I said, "Well, like as your dog, if you want, take her, and I'll get another dog." And yep. that's how I ended up getting Baloo. And we're, she uh, we're wandering far off the field. Here. Yeah, we are. <laughs> all right, all right. But, so I think we've. I, I think we have answered his questions. Yeah. Our last email is more of a spiritual question than anything else. I think. <laughs> Excuse you me. Want me to read it? I'm sorry, Canada. Yeah, go ahead. Hi, Happy Jacks. A question in the time of COVID. How do you deal with helplessness that is built into some games, Delta Green, Call of Thulu, etc., in the context of real-life pandemic that could, does for me, inspire helplessness? I'll take the easy one and say, play something else. Keep the show alive. Best, Rufus. Yeah. Well, that's what, um, I, I mentioned I've this been last week. From free floating anxiety, a lot. There's a lot going on in my life as well. But right. this COVID thing isn't helping. And yeah, I mean, um, I was playing a video game and I had to take a long break because I realized it wasn't helping. It was just making me anxious, <laughs> and I'm already anxious. That was just doing more on top of it. So in this time of COVID, I can totally see that you know perhaps playing Call of Cthulhu or a zombie apocalypse themed game may not be as interesting as it once was. Might right. actually be well, dangerous. I lamented last week about the fact that, because Murmurs at the Abyss, the Call of Cthulhu game, starts up uh, starts up again this Sunday, uh, in two days. Two days. And uh, <clears throat> I started lamenting the fact that before the before the pandemic started, I, I decided I wanted to run two very dark games. I don't want to run two very dark games right now. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I would rather not. I'm gonna... But I, I mean, I'm going to have a conversation with the players about you know, where do we want to take the tone of this game? Because if it's if I'm having reservations about it, I'm sure they're having reservations about it as well. Right. You know what I mean? So so yeah, I think yeah, now is a time to play goofy, stupid games. Tune Tune would be a Tune great role playing game to so play right awesome. now. I have never laughed more than Tune games. Um, there was a guy that used to run them at the con, and I and I played two or maybe even three of them. And literally, my my jaw and my stomach were hurting at the end. It was like I had just taken mushrooms and laughed all night. I, I've never had more <laughs> Your fun. Your cheeks hurt the next morning when you yeah. take mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Um, I you know what? That's a really valid point. I think these days that not to get all woo woo and hippy hippy, but all of us are under some amount of stress and anxiety to a certain degree, various degrees, and and we all have different ways of coping with it. And I I think. Perhaps playing a zombie apocalypse, dark, realistic, gritty zombie apocalypse game may not be that much. Uh, it may not be as much fun as it once was. Um, you know, it's like a too soon kind of thing, right? You know, they the it, it, as far as for life advice, what the serenity prayer, which I think is What's that we aim to misbehave. No, some of the some of the wisest words at. Grant me the strength to change the things I can, the serenity to accept the things I cannot, and the wisdom to know the difference. Oh, I thought it was from the movie. No, serenity. it's not from the movie. Serenity. We aim to misbehave. No. 
Um, but I mean that that to to me, I mean that's what this is all about right now. I mean because I, I mean I'm an essential worker. I have to go to work every day. Yeah, and I've had to the entire time. And I'm yeah. thankful. And you're also, a, and you're in a high risk group as well. So yeah. going to work every day is probably a little bit stressful for you, right, and, Stu? Yeah, it was at first. At first, it was extremely stressful. After a while, I realized, you know what? I can only do what I can do to to personally make sure I don't get this shit. Now I'm, I'm, I'm managing other people, so I'm also trying to make sure that they're being safe while at work as well, because we don't want an outbreak. But I mean, we're, I'm in a position where, like, I mean, I personally have my name on contracts with the fire departments of some municipalities that say, if there is a national emergency or a disaster, we will be, be there if they need us. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we got, we got to do what we do. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, it, you know, at first it was like I, everything. I mean, I still do all this stuff, but it was like it was out of anxiety. Then it was like wipe everything down with you know diluted bleach and. And, and, you know, I made sure everyone had masks, and we put up some barriers to protect us from customers coming in, because at first, a lot of people weren't wearing masks. Now it's about 50-50, because, I mean, some of them are people who are trying to make a political point, but some of them are just, they forget, either forgot, or they're tired, and they're tired of this shit, and which I totally understand. Yeah, the COVID but, burnout, it's a thing. Well, fuck I yeah, it is. myself doing it. Right. But, I mean... But it's like, I got to the point where it's like, I can only do so much to protect myself from this. If I get it, I get it. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing more. Nothing more. So I'm going to wear a mask whenever I'm around people and, you know, wash my hands a lot, take care of stuff like that. Don't touch my face anymore. I touch my face now. I love not having a mask on right now because I can touch my face. (laughs) Because it turns out, boy, you touch your face a lot. And you don't they, realize how much you do until you learn. Between sixteen and thirty mask. times a day or an hour. Or oh, a day, a second for me. Yeah, no, it's... But the, the 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 thing was, it got to the point, and I had a couple a couple guys at the at the shop were like, you know, I'm worried about getting it. I'm like, all we can do is what we can do. I mean, and we wear masks. We stay away from people. If someone comes in, we gently encourage them to wear a mask. But I mean, we're dealing with customers. We're not dealing with you know. It, it, you, you, you tell the wrong guy, no, put a mask on. Next thing you know, they're not buying from you anymore. And then you, then you have a, right. a different kind of problem. Even though it's private property and it's like no, no shirt, oh, yeah, no. no service. You oh, yeah, can you, can die, you can die on that hill until you don't have any customers left. That's yeah, that's, that's the problem it. with that. And, and you wouldn't have none, but I mean, it's something, it, it, it's, it's a, there's a, a balance there. And at some point you do have to kind of just say, there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to turn into Howard Hughes. Well, you can't really buy a, like, buy a, yeah, buy a mansion on the lake. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, the the, the three the three comma uh, uh, net worth that might be worth it, but I don't know if I would spend my time pissing in bottles and and well, uh, washing if you my hands. The mansion on the lake, you know, the, the, there's no reason to go anywhere else. Why not? But, right, but I mean, and, and and early on too, I was washing my hands so much, I, I ended up having to make my own hand sanitizer because you couldn't find it anywhere. So I made hand sanitizer. I bought a a ninety nine percent bottle of isopropyl alcohol off of Amazon and a big jug of of uh, aloe. aloe aloe and then you mix them two two parts alcohol to one part aloe and that gives you 66% alcohol or whatever and which it's is funny the recipe in the anarchist cookbook for napalm is re- remarkably similar it is <laughs> but I made a bunch of that because I couldn't find it and I started using that instead but I was getting like sores on my hand from washing my hands so much like freaking Howard Hughes yeah. and finally I'm like you know what 
I, there's only so much I can do. I'll do what what I what I am at least being told is the safest behaviors. But apart from that, I can't worry about it anymore. And yeah, I don't. It's a control thing. I mean, I'll, at some point, you just like I, I'm doing everything I can control to the best of my ability, and there's no more. There's no more I can do because at that point, they, like you said, you become a shut in, or you just never leave the house. And you, you know, you, you next thing you know, everything. you're pissing in a bottle and living off of milk. <laughs> have you ever seen I'm the attack? Have you ever seen the um, aviator? Yes, <laughs> once, but it's. But bringing it back to his point, which is. KY and Everclear. Thanks, Bobcat. <laughs> you know what? The, the, now, because now there's tons of different people that are making hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. and some of it totally smells like cheap vodka. And mm-hmm. you look on the back, and it's ethyl alcohol. It's the fun alcohol. It's not isopropyl or w- yeah. these other kinds. It's it's actually drinking alcohol. But now they have to put a little bit of isopropyl or something else in it that makes you vomit or makes you sick, so people won't drink it. <laughs> people will drink it because that's a good thing to do. I well, I mean, seventy percent alcohol. What's that? Uh, One hundred and forty proof. Seventy percent. Yeah, it's yeah. like vodka. I think vodka is like seventy percent. No, I think vodka is more like around 35 percent. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't drink it. Vodka is one of the ones that, like, every time I have been falling down blackout drunk, and I've never really blacked out, things just get really blurry. It's always been vodka. So I, I realized, ah, it's just not my. It's not my alcohol. Ed from Minnesota says that there's a d- tequila distillery that's making hand sanitizer. Yeah, a lot of distilleries are. And then uh, vodka is actually something they use in the movie industry and the theater industry a lot. You can you take uh, vodka and some water and you put it in a spritzer. Oh, for and to you sanitize clothes with it right in between shows because you can't get you know, Cinderella's ball gown dry cleaned every show. It's going to fade like once a week. Right. So they have these. They, it's cheap vodka works really, really well. So yes, I get it. So anyway, so, but I mean that that's. I mean, I mean I don't know. We'll talk about it for the Call of Cthulhu game. I don't know. I mean, if, maybe we'll, we'll just kind of ease up on the tone because I was the one that was like, oh, I want to run a really dark Call of Cthulhu game because that would, it, you know, before all this, that was really cool. It was it sounded like fun. Now it's, it's fun. What's that? What's that Cthulhu game that? That Frey and Kimi ran like the first con we went to. Uh, it, it's it's it, yeah. They play like uh, armored mechs, or they play like uh, uh, these sort of bio weapons, and and you actually can win. Was that Cthulhu oh, Tech? Can, yeah. Why don't you play I think Cthulhu that was Tech good. instead? Well, because it, it kind of gets it's the nineteen twenties. So <laughs> now I want to do that. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about Cthulhu it. Tech. I don't want to. I don't want to turn it into a comedy, but I would like to lighten it up a little bit because, I, especially, Jim's character is the, a freaking tortured soul right now. Well, yes, and there is a helplessness built into Cthulhu, which I've always found hard to play. Anyway, you know, you kind of go you go in knowing the inevitability, which is you're going to go mad and, and you know check out, which is it's about the journey, right? But it, it is. There is just this overwhelming, oppressive hopelessness about it, and maybe you can do something about that. Yeah. Maybe Cthulhu could just, like, not show up, or they could actually stop him from showing up. Well, James V. mentioned that that I already have time travel involved in the game, so, I mean, it could... Mm. (laughs) Listen, I'm saying you do Cthulhu Tech, but instead of it being high-tech, it's clockwork. Well, that's what Master Vitor just said. Steam it runs off steam engines, right? So you have your (laughs) steampunk Cthulhu Tech game. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, 
why not? That sounds like a, oh, oh, like a hoot and a half. And then everyone, every, everyone will sound like the retired British Army officer. I say good chap. <laughs> I'm, I'd play that game. That sounds like fun right now. <laughs> it does. All right. Yeah, yeah the, I have introduced Albert Einstein. He could be building mech suits right now in the afterlife. And if it's the 20s, you've got Babbage and you've got... Uh, was it Lovelace who, who wrote the who Linda the Lovelace? Book? Yeah, she was hot back then. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything about Lovecraft? Boy, you are so old. No, 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 no. I had a Lovelace. I think it was. And I don't I know think who that is. She was one of the ones that wrote the first computer program. She was a math- mathematic genius, but she was sort of don't know. Don't know. Somebody is probably in the chat right now correcting me. I'm pretty sure it's Ida Lovelace. Yeah, both were long dead in the 1920s. Okay. There you go. Einstein was not. No, not no, not Einstein. Uh, the the Babbage. Babbage is nineteenth century. That's true. That's I b- definitely. Still I believe. Century. All right, Ada Lovelace. They're saying. Thank you. All right. So and that's my advice. You can only control what you can control, and you can't control anything you can't control. Meditate. Breathe. <laughs> Um, Nothing else to do. No, you know, and you're right. You I can't mean, take yoga classes to center yourself right now. So I've been dealing with a lot of you know personal matters at, in, in my life too, and it's like you can choose to spin about and run around, or you can choose to just sort of not. Either way, the things are going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. So it, it all I have control of is is how I react to it. And if spinning out about it makes me feel better, that's fine. But it, but it doesn't. It rarely does. So. Things things are going to do what they're going to do, and then you just have to things. You know, I mean, at least in the forest all the time. At least here we're trained with earthquakes, because there's always oh. a chance we'll have an 8.0 earthquake and your house will collapse around you, mm-hmm. right? But you don't you don't worry about it because there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it other than move. Yeah, you leave the state. Like, oh, I moved to Florida and I got hit by a hurricane. So. <laughs> right. Or move to Oklahoma and get sucked up by a tornado. Tornado, right. So, <laughs> Oh, between 1842 and 1843, this is James V. Ada translated an article by Italian military engineer Luigi Menabrea on the on a, the calculating engine, supplementing it with an elaborate set of notes, simply called, quote-unquote, notes. Lovelace's notes are important in the early history of computers containing what many consider to be the first computer program. That is, an algorithm designed to be carried out by a machine. Interesting. That's fantastic. So I'm telling you, you just need to do Cthulhu Tech based in that era. That'll be a lot more fun. Right. All right. So there you are. Uh, anything else? Anything else I want to mention? Nope, I don't have a book I've written. Um, I don't have any games I'm I'm working on. Uh, yeah. Okay. My and my life might be settling down finally, so maybe I'll be be able to join the world again. But we'll see. And uh, let me just say, my novel it's been retitled Mandite and the Apprentice Mage. No COVID nineteen in it. No diseases. <laughs> <laughs> Great escapism. And there I will be Corvids. There might be nineteen Corvids. There are some Corvids, but there, but there is no COVID. <laughs> and I'll and I'll tell you right now, because I don't know. Do you remember Mandite? Mm-hmm. This is th- these stories are what happened before you guys met him. How he became the the sort of na- mage slash necromancer he was when you guys met him. This is his story leading up to that, and it takes place in Eldamy in the same world. I, I added gunpowder. 
because I like having cannons and muskets and shit, even cool. though I bar- barely ever use them. But he is, at this point, totally full of himself and not very competent. I want to read it just to find out how you deal with magic, because I always find magic systems in fantasy games to be one of my favorite things. I pulled, I pulled the magic system from Moment of Truth, which still is not what I want it to be, but that, that it's forces. It's like you, you, you summon certain forces and then you sort of weave and combine them together in your mind to create the magic. So. Awesome. But he, he is still no mere hedge mage. That's right, Eric. <laughs> he, yeah, he, I, I just wrote a section right now. <laughs> he's fallen and so far he's fallen and he fell and, and twisted his ankle at one point because he cast a spell that sort of pushed him and someone else against a wall so they were able to get down it so like this constant barrage of wind is hitting them against this wall because they had no other way to get down because they Science. both forgot to bring Physics. ropes right because no one thought to bring a rope and and of course or a 10 foot pole the guy the guy he's he's with he's able to get down but then he gets like halfway down and he says and that's when the spell that's when the spell stopped so he ends up falling like 15 feet and twisting his ankle and now they're trying to do something else and then something else happened and he fell off a horse and then he actually broke it <laughs> and then I, and then I the the chapter I was just writing before I came in here was the was that let me tell you how painful it is to have a bone regrown. <laughs> so, it was that chapter. For your, for your next series, I, I want you to do a one about your the, the vampire NPC who is who uh, does, reads the entrails. <laughs> I think he's probably my favorite NPC that you've ever created so far. What's his name? Something the Great. Silas the Great. Silas the Great. <laughs> and you said the inspiration for him was the that guy from True Grit. Yeah, the, right? the the guy with the bear head. He just shows up. The dentist. Says, our, our bodies are useful. <laughs> I saw a body back there. If it was yours, I will leave it alone. But if, if it is all right with you, I will take the teeth. I have use for them. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is so surreal and so Coen Brothers and so awesome and so right. And it's just, it's like, I remember watching that movie, and it's like, there's stuff happening, and then there's this weird interlude in this weird woods with this mountain man, and then it picks up again, and you're like, what you know what, that? though? It was awesome. And I gotta say, now, in the day of COVID, oh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ed from Minnesota, thank you for buying my book. In the day of, in the days, days of COVID, you know, you look at that guy, and this is a mountain man who lives out in the middle of nowhere in isolation around no one for probably weeks or months at a time, and it's like, yeah, I can see myself getting that way. <laughs> just watched Jeremiah Johnson, I think it was last weekend, same thing, you know, there's a, a famous line, I think it's the end of the movie, he goes, you, you wouldn't happen to know the day of the month and the year that it, it is, would you? And the guy kind of looks at him and he goes, been up here a long time, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, it's like, he's no. lost total track, he goes, March, maybe, well, March, March might be ready green month down there, I don't think March, no. But, I mean, they're having this discussion because they're so lost in time, it just one, you know, one day blurs into the next. Oh, no, it's uh, GM Radio Rob. Mandite was not killed. Mandite, was a, he, he was, Mandite never showed up in any of the APs. This is actually from the very first campaign we ran after we started the, the podcast. This is a 4E campaign that we never recorded. Just wanted... The airship and everything? We didn't record <clears throat> that? Huh. I thought we did. They, no, he didn't have an airship. You're thinking of the flying carpets? No, I'm thinking of the one where we got an airship, and we we went over with the one with Decree. Those are flying carpets. 
Those were flying carpets. Oh, I thought there was an airship. No, it was flying carpets. Okay, uh, but that was the, that was that was it. But you remember, Mandite was out out in the middle in the tower in the swamp. Right. All right. Uh, oh, there was something else I was going to say. I don't remember what it was. Oh, I, I forgot to mention. Have you seen? Have you watched Eurovision Song Contest? The story no, of Fire you, Saga. You've asked me about that all the time. Yeah, dude. But. Seriously. Oh, uh, we should probably push um, Strategic on GameX. Oh, this isn't that this weekend? I, I think it might be, but it is going to be virtual. Yes, they're they're. Uh, let me go to StrategicCon.net and look at it right now. Anyway, Jim, uh, who's I uh, used to be a friend of the show, is now part of the show. Yeah, uh, is doing his his usual bang up job, and he's he's pivoted, and they've managed to get a an online version up and running this year. So, if you can't make a con, because none of us can, check it out online. And um, I'm not sure what all the rules and everything are, and I think Stu is furiously looking up now. But if you type in Strategicon or Orcon or GameX, is that the other one? They will all take you to the same website and should have all the info you need. Follow Strategicon, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-C-O-N on Twitter. That's probably your best chance of figuring out what's going on because they have a hashtag Gateway 2020. That's the, name, that's the name. That would be normally would be SeptemberCon, and I canceled my hotel when they right after they announced that it wasn't going to happen because I was holding out hope. But no, all right. So you know, if, if you live in you know the Outer Hebrides, you can now actually go to StrategicCon without flying right. in town. Right, <laughs> and they're they're they're, they're they, they, he just sent out an email blast looking for people to run games. So, but they they're, yeah. I mean, obviously you can't do everything you would do at a regular game convention, but you can play play role-playing games with people who've never played role-playing games before, and that can be a fun, exciting, and also sometimes a source of horror stories for our show. <laughs> I learn something every game I play at a con. Absolutely. Not always good, but I learn something. Exactly. Alright, uh, let me send it out. Where Thank you for joining us for Season 27, Episode 5 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Stork. Thank you so much, guys, for showing up and listening to us ramble on and on. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, this thank you very much. Great. And the last two episodes, we've gone an hour and a half rather than our than our, our hard limit of an hour. But we whatever. got nowhere else to go on that. I got day. nowhere else to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week, 7 p.m. Pacific Time. HappyJacks.org slash live right here. Thank you very much. We'll leave, I'll leave you with a song. La 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 la
sing with joy most high, because my wind is dry by. La 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 la. See how the crowds they part at the smelling of my fart. La 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 la. The ladies lunch in fright when they smell what I ate last night. Why problem make when you no problem have you don't want to make? The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. All right, thank you. I started.